Hello, everyone, and welcome to Gay Men Going Deeper. This is a podcast by the Gay Men's Brotherhood, where we talk about personal development, mental health, and sexuality. We are your hosts. I am Michael Diorio. I'm a life and wellness coach specializing in sexuality, relationships, and self-confidence. And we have the wonderful Matt Lancetal. He is an intuitive life and spiritual coach and counselor focusing on healing and empowerment. We each have our own coaching practices, but in this podcast, we are sharing all of our best stuff. And today we are covering the very uh, juicy, shall we say, <laughs> topic of healing shame. Mm-hmm. And shame, for the record, is that terrible feeling that arises when you get the sense that something is fundamentally wrong with you. So it's not a fun topic. And so if you're here and you're going to stick with us, and I encourage that you do, um, just know that this could be a little bit triggering, but that's okay. Because once we once we can surface those triggers, we can start to work with them, which is what we're going to be talking about as well. Mm-hmm. So shame is often accompanied by a sense of inadequacy or self-doubt uh, and the sense that you're just not enough, not enough on some level, right? So if this sounds like you, then, then maybe you want to stick around for it. So we're going to be covering how shame affects us as gay men specifically, how do we identify shame? And then what are some ways we can start healing shame? So that's what we're covering today. Uh, reminder that this discussion uh, will continue on the last Thursday of the month in the Gay Men's Brotherhood Zoom Hangout. This is where we give you guys, our viewers and listeners, a chance to share your own thoughts on the topics that we discuss here. So if you want to join us, go to the private Gay Men's Brotherhood Facebook group and check out the events tab to RSVP. Also, if you're on our mailing list, then we will email you um, the Wednesday before to remind you that we are meeting on Thursday and you'll get the Zoom link in that email as well. A reminder that this podcast and YouTube channel are listener and viewer supported. So if you enjoy what we're creating here, you can support us by making a donation to the show using the link in the show notes. You can also subscribe to get early access to episodes on Apple Podcasts. All your support helps us to continue making great content for the community. So we thank you very much in advance. And if you are looking to accelerate your personal development journey, please check out our coaching collection. It includes two courses, one of which is Healing Your Shame, which is very topical for today. But it also includes our second follow-up course to that, which is Building Better Relationships, where we kind of take the lessons of the first course and we apply it into building relationships, both platonic and romantic. In addition to those two courses, it has 45 premium personal development coaching videos on topics relating to body positivity, relationships, self-confidence, and community, pretty much all the things that we discuss here. So please head over to gaymengoingdeeper.com for more info. All right. So for the opening, I want to just jump right into question one. How does shame affect our lives as gay men? Shame affects everyone's lives. Every human has to contend with the feeling of shame and adequacy, not good enough. But for gay men, it, it's very specific and it comes comes across in a very specific way. So the gay man's journey or queer person's journey is that we are born into a straight world. No choice. The world is predominantly hetero. And we are not. So our journey is at some point along our lives, we come to realize, oh, hey, wait a minute, we're different. We're different in some way. And we are helpless to change that about ourselves as much as we tried. And Lord knows I did as much as we tried to pray it away or, or wish it wasn't that way. We are helpless to change it. And even if you try to ignore the fact that you're different, um, it's still there. Right? So the gay man's journey or the queer person's journey is just coming to terms with that. And we all come to terms with it in different times in different ways. And it has a lot to do with the culture we're born into the family we're born into the era we're born into, but either way, we all have to contend with this feeling of, Oh, I'm different than the norm. So what I want to share is I'm going to share my personal story with how shame has affected my life as a gay man and how I've dealt with it as a gay man. And I have a sneaking suspicion a lot of you are going to resonate with what I have to say, especially if you're born around the same time I was or, you know, in in a culture, uh, in the Western <clears throat> culture like I was. So actually what I want to, I want to invite you right away is share with me or share with us in the comments how shame has affected your life as a gay man, right? We want to hear whether it's similar or different. I want to hear about it. So if you're on YouTube, put it there. If you're in the Facebook group, put it there. Okay. So for me, like I said, at some point I had to figure out that I was not like the other boys. And I figured that out pretty early. They were athletic. I was not. They were 
rowdy and raucous, and I was quiet and shy. I wanted to read a book and dance to 80s music because I was born in the 80s. And they wanted to like, I don't know, beat each other up. And I was like, <laughs> not interested in that shit. So I knew that I was kind of different from, from early on. And for whatever reason, something about me being different and made me feel like there was something wrong with me. It was not something that I thought, oh, yay, I'm different. It was like, uh-oh, <laughs> I'm different. Not in a good way. Now, as an adult, I see that as a good thing. But at the time, definitely not. So I didn't know what was different about me. This is going back to like my childhood, right? So I just knew that there was something wrong with me, even the way like, you know, I would hear like the adults in my life talking about how I needed to be more like this or more like my brother or more like these other kids. And just even hearing that, overhearing that put something in my brain that something was wrong with me, right? So that's where the seeds are planted for me. Now, eventually time goes on and I realize that what makes me different is the fact that I'm actually attracted to guys. And that's a big no-no in my culture where I was raised. Um, so obviously I kept it a secret, uh, very deep in the closet. I was afraid that if anyone found out my dirty little secret, my biggest fear at the time was that my family would stop loving me, that I, they would withhold love. My mom, my dad, my parents, my grandparents, my family. I'm, and I'm very much connected to my family. I love my family. So that was really scary for me to think that. And then in the school social situation, I was afraid that I wouldn't have any friends. I thought, oh, if they find out that I'm not going to have any friends, I'm going to be a loner, which was a terrible thing for like an adolescent kid. So I learned early on to hide a big part of my identity. And I think a lot of you out there can resonate with that. Uh, and I learned to hide that part of me. And at the same time, <clears throat> learned how to blend in in other ways, learned how to like make myself acceptable. Uh, by hiding the parts of me that were authentic. So for me, that was, like I said, I, I remember loving the days that my parents would make me do chores because like that's the only time we'd put on like really loud music in the house. And like, I'm like, yes, we can kind of listen to like Madonna and George Michael and New Order or New Kids on the Block, whoever that was. Um, and I would just love dancing to it. It was like the one time that I was allowed. But I remember like seeing like, you know, my dad's face and like this disapproving, like you shouldn't be moving like that. He didn't say the words. But his eyes said the words, mm -hmm. you shouldn't be moving like that. Which fast forward, by the way, just going to tell you the boss. Now, this is why I fucking love dancing. And you cannot get me off a dance floor because it's almost like this unapologetic, fuck you. I'm going to dance until I want to. But anyway, I digress. So yes, that, I learned to hide those parts of me. And that, that was part of me for me. And I learned to hide it at school too. So I learned really early on, I think a lot of gay guys learn this, is the fear of rejection and how to win approval. We learn to fear rejection really quick, and we also mm -hmm. learn how to get approval really quick. Okay, so let's fast forward now into adolescence. So once I realized the word that I was was gay, I remember thinking this is like the worst possible thing to happen to me. I did not want this. I imagined my life with a wife and three kids in the burbs, having a great job and, you know, doing all the things that I thought everyone else was going to do. All my friends, my siblings, my cousins, all that stuff, right? I wanted to have the same life. And so I realized, oh, shit, how can I do that? Um, and this, again, is very much an era that I was born in. Like, we didn't have a lot of the same role models that we do today. Um, so I thought God made me wrong. I was wrong. Something was wrong with me. And I remember even specifically thinking, I'd rather be dead than gay. I remember thinking that and wishing that I could be anything else but this. So I got really good again at hiding it. And I maintained that. And I maintained that illusion that I wasn't gay. And I was really good at that. So I did that by avoiding situations where my secret could be exposed. So anytime there was like a group of guys meeting and they were doing something athletic, I like just <laughs> like, okay, I gotta go. Bye. Just stay away from that shit. I skipped gym class. I was sick all the time, whatever. I found ways to get out of it. And at the same time, I sought out ways. This is in high school. I sought out ways to um, prove myself in other ways. So I was a straight A student, really good with, you know, um, meeting the demands that, you know, my parents set on me for being a, a good boy. Um, I was respectful. I was popular, mostly with girls, but still popular. Um, I dressed well. I had great parties when my parents were out of town. <laughs> okay, to great parties. So I became really good at finding ways for people to like me uh, in other ways. So looking at it now, I didn't know this at the time, but looking at it now, avoiding the feeling of shame, avoiding that secret was the single biggest motivator in my life. It affected all of my actions and all my behaviors. It was basically pretty much I woke up and like 
how do I make sure no one finds out my dirty little secret? So fast forward again, age 19 is when I came out for the first time. So I came out of the closet and I was like, all right, this is bullshit. I can't do this anymore. I'm going to come out. I came out at 19, first year of university. I uh, came out to my girlfriend, actually, first person I came out to. Uh, and eventually I got over the fact that being gay was a bad thing. I was like, all right, well, this is just who I am. So the shame about being gay and being attracted to guys was kind of went away over time, but that feeling of not being good enough lingered. And so now my relationship with shame wasn't about being gay, but it was about trying to compensate for it. <clears throat> We've talked about this in the last couple episodes. So if you've been paying attention, uh, go back and listen to external validation and internal validation, the two-parter we did with, with Reno, fantastic stuff there. But this is what I'm talking about, that compensation for um, feeling like something was fundamentally flawed with me. So my thought was, if I'm gay, well, at least I'm going to be masculine. If I'm gay, well, at least I'm going to be this kind of gay, the more acceptable, I'm using air quotes for those who can't see me, acceptable kind of gay. I'm going to be super successful. I'm going to show the world and show my parents, okay, I know they have a gay son and they're disappointed, but I'm going to be so, I'm going to climb the corporate ladder. I'm going to do all the things and I'm going to prove myself in every which way. So now my, my, my relationship with shame was compensating for it. Right. So, and that's the general pattern, right? So, you know, Beyond that, I've, I've come to realize that that seeking of external validation for me was in ways that were kind of more natural to me. And everyone does it a little bit differently. And we talked about that. For me, I relied on my sexual prowess. I relied on my looks. I relied on my body to give me that validation that it's like, okay, well, at least I'm this. I may be gay, but at least I'm this. Uh, and for other people, they do it in lots of other ways. So I'm curious to, to hear about yours, Matt. Um, and we'll be talking about that and how we identify shame. So I think that's how shame affects gay guys. I mean, this is my story, but I really do believe that a lot of people will resonate with that. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the unfortunate part is this whole thing is that it prevented my authentic self from a very young age from flourishing, from the little boy who wanted to dance <clears throat> while he was vacuuming to, you know, I had crushes in high school. I never had to, I couldn't say a word about, I had to keep all that within me. So my authentic true self was hidden for a very, very, very long mm -hmm. time. And it wasn't until my late twenties and early thirties that I really started to develop a strong sense of who I am. And so shame for me and for a lot of people with gay guys is about two things, hiding who you are, three things, hiding who you are, avoiding it altogether. And then even when you come out, compensating for it. So those are the three that I think, um, I think it falls under any of those three. If there's more then I, you know, I'm curious to know what they might be. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my story of how shame affected my life and how I do think it affects a lot of gay guys knowing that I do work with mainly gay men. So that story might not be the exact same, but I'm willing to bet it's very similar. So mm -hmm. Matt, what about you? Hmm. Yeah, I just want to kind of share how I experienced your story. It was really emotional, actually, for me. I, I noticed a lot of emotions stirring up. And um, thank you. Thank you for sharing that because um, I really related to it. And I like it almost kind of like shifted, like how I'm going to proceed with the rest of this podcast. Because I'm like, I, I came in with this very like coach hat energy on like let's talk about shame and you know and now my heart feels really open and mm -hmm. it's like I'm less cerebral so um yeah I'm still unsure how I'm going to navigate this so I guess I'll just let it bring let both it come. yeah yeah I can bring both there bring you both. go there you go um yeah wow just just so much around the energy and I noticed like the well I'll, I'll explain the, the feelings that came up for me there was a lot of sadness a lot of empathy and compassion that I felt for you because I had my story is almost identical. It's amazing. Like I also came out at around 18, 19 years old to my girlfriend, her name's Vanessa. Yeah. And I came out as bisexual though. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to bring one foot out first Me too. and then I'll bring the other foot out. So yeah, it's just really beautiful. There's so many parallels. And I, you know, another feeling that came up was like, I really wish that I would have known you at that mm. young age, we could have like, you know, or any gay person for that matter, like, I just felt so alone in this experience of, um, of feeling disgusting, feeling um, fragile, feeling um, angry. I was very, very angry as a kid. And, and I still have a lot of anger in me. Um, I do notice it come up. Um, 
even still to this day, like I still feel the anger around having to hide most of my life. And, you know, from the age of, uh, I had my very first sexual feeling towards a guy at, at around five. Wow. So I hid my sexual self from five till 18. That's 13 years of my very developmental formative years that I had to hide who I was. And, and people might be listening to this and thinking, well, it's only just the, your sexuality. But at that age, like that's, that's all of who you are. It's like, there, you know, when we hide one aspect of ourselves, we don't just let all the other aspects shine forward. We start to hide all of who we are and we have to manicure um, our image, right? So this was a real big big trauma for me. I, I, you know, I think shame and trauma are so interconnected because when we do feel inadequate and that we're not good enough, I think, uh, it's very traumatic. It's very traumatic. So I think that's why a lot of our, there's a lot of pain in our community and you and I do very similar work and we work with this pain every single day. Right. And, uh, I've been working with it, you know, in other people, but I've been working with it within myself for decades now and, and it's exhausting and I'm, I'm finally at that point where i'm feeling like you know sharing myself with the world is uh i'm i'm re i'm, I'm learning you know it, it comes in layers it's like vulnerability is the opposite of shame it's i'm gonna i'm gonna share who i am and i'm gonna bring myself forward and you know there it's come in layers for me like i thought i was being vulnerable two three years ago and compared to where i'm at now and the vulnerability i'm experiencing now is it's like you know it's amazing. And what I used to do before and give you a good example is I would teach retrospectively about vulnerability. I'd be like, well, you know, last year I was, you know, really struggling and this is what I did to get through it. And now I'm better. And, you know, that was my vulnerable sharing and it's still vulnerable. You're still sharing your pain, but now I'm like learning how to show up and be like, I'm still in pain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm still struggling, you know, like even like before getting on this call, like, you know, I'm, I'm going through a bit of a depression right now and it's really challenging. So I'm like learning how to like share um, from the most authentic place within me and, and, you know, not hide. I'm tired of hiding and the masks are fucking exhausting. Like I'm feeling like where I'm at now is my masks are like made of metal they're no longer made of paper. So they're, they're way heavier to keep on my face. And um, yeah. So anyway, I wanted to to just bring that forward. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Tell us what you mean when you say masks. Oh, dear. Yeah. So, you know, I think about myself, like kind of being five, six years old, having these feelings. And I knew right away, it was almost like I was programmed right away to know it's not okay. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not okay to, you know, you see your mother and your father together, you see men and women holding hands, you never see two men holding hands. So it was, you know, I was conditioned to, um, to start to hide from a very young age. And I remember, um, I'm like, I'm like thinking, how much should I expose here? <laughs> but it's just funny how that comes up. So it's like, you know, I remember like taking the Sears catalog uh when i was younger into the bathroom and like the the, un, the men's underwear section and like you know masturbating to the models and um you know everything became this big secret and i think that's why there's so much secrecy around sex in our culture and like cruising and like hide and there's this energy of like don't get caught and right so it's like we've 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 taken something that was very traumatic and shameful and we've turned it into almost like a pathology, like a sexual pathology or a deviance, right? And then we act it out. And that's, you know, we, we see this a lot in, you know, sexual trauma victims is that, you know, some of them go the route of, of abstinence and fear of sex and some of them go promiscuity and they just overdo it. And it's about control and, and right? So I think a lot of gay men take this trauma and the shame and they go into this, this hypersexual energy. And I think when, when we did the sex, you know, sex podcast, sex and intimacy, that's the side the shadow side of, of the sex positivity. And I use air quotes when I say that, cause I don't think that's positive, yeah. right? I think it's actually re recreating trauma. Um, so, but yeah, the masks for me, like, uh, you know, I've talked about this since day one on this podcast is perfectionism. That was the biggest mask, uh, the mask of masculinity. So for me, I learned from a very young age that masculinity was safe. Femininity wasn't. Right. So the hiding behind the mask of masculinity was safe for me amongst my peers. And, you know, I remember this, uh, this 
one guy that I w- grew up with, there was, I kind of grew up in a group of, there was a group of us, um, like maybe like eight of us or six of us or something. I can't remember, but, um, and we were all best buds. Right. And, uh, this was in like junior her like high or uh, elementary school. So like one to six or K to six or whatever. And the one guy like was like kind of going around. I don't know why he was doing this, but he was going around and like almost like calling everybody out for shit and like being like, you're this and you're that. And it was just like this weird bullying behavior. And he got to me and I was like, so terrified that he was going to like expose me. And he's like, he's like, and you're, you're a faggot or, or something like that. And I was like, I just, and I remember this, I remember the feeling and that wash of heat, like going through me, like, oh my God. And then my face goes red and everybody's like, well, he must be a faggot if his face is going red because he's right. Yeah. And I remember I carried that with me. The uh, One of the very first times I sought a therapist out um, was because I was struggling with my face blushing. I think I might've shared this on a, on a different episode, but, um, and I was struggling with being exposed, a fear of people seeing me. Um, and at this time I was already out. I started this process at around 25. So I was already out for you know five or six years at that time. And, but this was happening with just random people. Like I would just be like, no, like just like this, I'd be talking and all of a sudden my face would just go beat red. And then people would feel really awkward. Like what's going on? Like I didn't say anything to embarrass you. Why are you embarrassed? And so it was my body's way of like, being like something needs to be addressed here like you have a lot of toxic shame living in your body and it's being stimulated in social situations and i had a lot of social anxiety too still do actually uh, to a certain point and so that's the that that was my main pain point why i sought out a therapist and uh she at that time, I think introduced me to um Brene Brown, the gifts of imperfection and Michael Singer um the untethered soul, which are my two ultimate favorite books. And I recommend them to all my clients. And uh, that was my, the start of my journey of really understanding what vulnerability is and um, why I was hiding and where it came from. But believe it or not, I actually didn't process the gay stuff with her. And uh, it was more so just around like other things and and why I felt the need to hide. Um, so still, <clears throat> still very much, uh, navigating this and you know maybe I'll, I'll kind of take off my vulnerable hat right now and put on my coach hat for a sec because I do want to share and help people understand because toxic shame and shame are different um, and what we're talking about here is toxic shame because shame shame isn't is a human emotion so it's it's it, it's it serves a purpose right mm-hmm. otherwise it wouldn't be there and uh, so I want to help people kind of discern the difference. So um, shame is is very much, um, well, again, Brene Brown uh, describes it as an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. So it's an emotion that affects all of us. It's a, it's a universal human experience to experience shame and inadequacy. Um, and it profoundly uh, shapes the way that we interact with ourselves and the world. Okay. So, uh, David Hawkins also has done a lot of research on shame in one of his books, letting go. If people are interested, um, he's great. Uh, but he has like a levels of consciousness and like, um, where the, the human emotions vibrate on a, on a level of Hertz by uh, megahertz or, uh, and it's a vibrational frequency that each emotion emits. And um, the the top is like a l- enlightenment uh, or peace at around like anywhere from 600 to 1000. And at the very bottom is shame. And that vibrates at 20 hertz. So if you think about enlightenment at the top at 1000 and, and shame is at the very bottom at 20. <clears throat> and it's characterized by the feeling of humiliation, right? Mm-hmm. So ha ha ha, you're disgusting. Shame on you. Be over there in the corner. This real kind of um abolishment from the tribe feeling and it a lot of people equate shame and embarrassment especially socially with death right it's it's our ego literally feels like it's dying in that moment and um and so for 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 gay men to have to deal with this feeling for so many years it's literally damaging to our system like not just our psychological system our emotional system but our actual physiology our body is deeply impacted by being in states of shame for long periods of time so shame is the purpose of shame itself is like to control antisocial behavior 
right? You, you think of, um, you know, this is kind of a good analogy to use, like um, in tribal situations, um, it was, sh you know, frowned upon, obviously, to uh, engage in incest incestuous behavior, right? Because it, it's just would abolish the tribe, right? Like if you have sex with your sister or brother, then you're going to create some, you know, like mental retardation or whatever it might be. And, and, um, it's not a survival mechanism for the tribe. So shame is the mechanism used to control something like incest or murder or these sorts of things. So it serves a very, very strong purpose in the sense of conformity um, and keeping people in line um, using fear, right? Because people are afraid of being shamed. So fear is the mechanism that's used to keep people in line. <clears throat> Where it becomes toxic is when we start to apply the messages of wrongness or flawedness to our sense of self. That's when it becomes toxic. And we start to learn that there's something wrong with us, that we're disgusting, that we're flawed. And then that's when um, it becomes pathological. It We start to act out in ways we start to feel like we need to hide who we are. And um, so, yeah, so that's basically um, the difference I wanted to, to highlight here. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, that's a really good difference. <clears throat> I was yeah. actually happy that you were talking about uh, the the toxic part because you're right. Shame, like I, I like the way that you identified it. Is there's a shame for a behavior, which I mean, our parents all did the same thing, right? They didn't yeah. want us to do something, so they kind of shame, uh, use that like fear tactic to put you in line, right? Which yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But the part I think when it comes to gay guys and when what makes it specifically tough for us is that it is part of who we are, like our mm -hmm. sexuality. It, like I said at the beginning, like we didn't choose this. This is just yeah. how we were born. And so it's not something you can change. You can change your behavior. You can change your action. You can do something wrong today, get you know shamed for it, and then not do that again. But when it comes to who you are, it, that's, the, that's the piece that it's, it's fundamentally flawed. And as young boys, if you kind of like you and I came out or at least knew something was different about you early on, being exposed to that kind of overwhelming feeling of shame at such a young formative age. Yeah. Like we're not prepared to handle that. Like no one's prepared to handle that. And exactly. so how we deal with it is really, I mean, you know, you and I both said we're on our <clears> own. <throat> it's not like I was like, mm -hmm. Hey, guess what? Mom, dad, I'm feeling shame because I'm gay. Can you help me out? Like, no, <laughs> yeah. we dealt with that. Right. And I think we all do. And that's why it follows us into our adulthood. So our next question is I want to just say something quickly before we transition. So the antisocial behavior, this is really fascinating because who defines what antisocial behavior is? This is what I think we're reclaiming. This is what the what the the gay and queer movement has been about, is reclaiming what mm -hmm. defined as antisocial. Because if you look at, you know, who's been defining antisocial behavior, it would be the church, right? The church and the state to a certain degree, but the church informs the state. So if the church is saying that being homosexual is antisocial and wrong, right? That's the messaging that we're getting. So then we start to attribute that I must be antisocial. There must be something wrong with me, right? This is the messaging that we got in that generation. You notice how things are shifting right now. And a lot of young queer and gay people are not coming into this world with this experience, the density that we that we had to, and even worse, the the, the generations above us, uh, because the church is is has less hold on what is defining antisocial behavior or moral code, right? People are like, fuck that. Like I'm gonna decondition my religious conditioning and I'm going to redefine what antisocial means to me. So I think that's really important to, to note here because we have to do that. If we wanna heal shame, and I'll talk about this later, one of the main ways of doing this is deconditioning the narrative that we bought into around what is antisocial, what is immoral, right? Yeah. And uh, and that's the reclamation of the power that I think we're going through as uh, as a community, which is is great. We need this. Yes, yeah. very well mm -hmm. said. Very all very true. It's questioning, like we talk about on this podcast a lot, questioning norms. <clears throat> Where did this come from? Do I want to keep this? Does this make sense for me? In some yeah. cases, it might. In some cases, it might not. Mm -hmm. um, and your point about the the religious aspect is very good. Um, for anyone who's has not listened to the Purity Culture 2.0 podcast I did with John Carl Lewis. We talked a lot about that because 
there is a movement as well within spiritual communities, within the church even, of people who want to change that institution from within. And I think that it's really important that, uh, you know, that we <coughs> make note of that, that it's it, it historically has been very bad for us, but there are people within the church, uh, maybe a minority, but still uh, a loud one who want to change that. So go listen to the podcast about purity culture, because that is exactly what you're referring to, Matt, is, is purity yeah. culture. We're all born into it and it makes us wrong. Yeah. 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 Okay. So the next question is, how do we identify our shame? So I want to actually ask you first, um, I didn't use the word shame. Like I didn't even know much about that word. Like it mm -hmm. was not really, like I would never have said, oh, I'm feeling shame. Like I didn't have that level of awareness. Mm -hmm. uh, what point did you kind of realize, oh, the feeling I'm struggling with here is shame? Like uh, uh, what part yeah. of your journey? Well, it's interesting because we learned a valuable lesson doing marketing for our healing your shame course is that gay men don't associate themselves with shame very often, right? Yes. Most human beings don't, they don't see it. They don't see it until you literally connect the dots for them because shame is so elusive, right? And it's like, it's it's almost like we've developed a, an ego structure around the shame, which is all the mechanisms, all the masks. So we don't see it. Right. And that's this is why shadow work is so essential to doing this, because shadow work is going into the belly of the beast, removing the ego structure and saying, shit, I got a lot of stickiness and a lot of you know swampiness going on inside of me. I want to face it. I want to deal with it. So for me, it was it was my shadow work process. It was when I started to going to therapy and when I started to be with these parts of myself. Um, but I started to notice like. Um, you know, like my training, obviously, like, you know, going to school for counseling and in these sorts of things, like, you know, I, I've always been very, very aware and insightful. But again, for me, it's it went on in layers. So it's coming off in layers. So I, you know, if you were to ask me five years ago, I would have been like, oh, I've healed all my shame. Like, I'm not I have no internalized homophobia. Are you kidding me? I worked on that five years ago. I'm good. Right. <laughs> and then as I'm learning about, you know, myself more and more, I'm learning that everything is layered right? Even my trauma, I would have told you five years ago, I healed all my trauma and I haven't, I'm still working on it now. And it's, it, it's just, it's part of the human experience, right? So I'm always meeting new versions of myself. Uh, every time I go through little awakening phases is, is I'm meeting, oh yeah, shit. And what I'm actually meeting is humility. Humility is the lens I look through to see my shame, right? If I don't look through the lens of humility, I look through the lens of ego and I say, you know, I'll just, I'll, you know, work a bit extra harder and I'll do this. And I won't, you know, I won't go into that arena because that'll expose, you know, mm -hmm. my, my possible. So for me, my, my shame was directly equated to my perfectionism and my fear of failure. Fear, fear of failure is the biggest one for me. And it's really tied into fear of rejection because I attribute, if I fail, I'm not perfect and I will be rejected or abandoned. So I have all these kind of fears really kind of mixed into the swamp of my shame. So fear of abandonment, fear of um, rejection, fear of failure. Those are probably the, my, my biggest ones. And then, you know, the next layer above would probably be like criticism and judgment. And, um, you know, because those are those can still sting me sometimes. But those for me are more measurements of where I'm at. They, you know, the, the fear of rejection below that is the deeper one that I'm working on. And then as I'm working on those, I'm noticing the fear of criticism and the fear of judgment becomes less and less and less. Right. Um, so, yeah, I would say probably that would be my biggest one would be perfectionism. And that's the that's the one that the mask that I wore the most to um, keep myself safe. Right. And it was um, if I can appear like I'm perfect, I will not get the reflection from the people around me that I'm that I'm anything but, right? And but what I what I didn't realize, and perfectionism is such an interesting thing, is that is that it there's a paradox to it. If you present perfection to the world, you will get perfection back because you're not being vulnerable, you're not being authentic, you're not practicing intimacy. So people aren't going to be able to feel safe to relate to you in any other way other than what you're projecting out. So perfection attracts perfection. And I use air quotes when I say yeah. that, right? Yeah. And so then I thought, oh my God, the world around me is perfect. So, you know, I have to be even more perfect, right? And th that's what I was seeing. So when I learned vulnerability and I started practicing vulnerability, that's when I started to soften a bit. 
because then people soften and they were like, I can be vulnerable with him because he he's vulnerable as well. And then people shared their flaws, their fears, their insecurities with me. And then I felt seen, right? So I do really think that perfectionism is, uh, it's one of the most toxic things that we can put, put out into the world culturally, in my opinion, because it's, it creates separation. It promotes, mm-hmm. e- it promotes ego and ego promotes separation. And we separate from each other when we only show our perfection to each other. So, yeah. yeah. It makes you far more relatable. Um, yeah. You know, I think Brene, Brene talks about this, but we've talked about this as well. Like seeing someone be vulnerable is very attractive. But yeah. when we, it's our turn to be vulnerable, it's like, oh, no, 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 that's not for me. It's it's fine mm-hmm. when they do it. And I, in fact, we actually like it when they do it, but I'm not going to show my vulnerability or my imperfection. Yeah. That's a very good point. Yeah. Vulnerability is, is a turn on for me. And, and it's funny because as a demisexual and all the demisexuals out there are probably going to laugh at this. But when somebody shows vulnerability with me in an intimate way, so it's, you know, him and I, and we're connecting and they're vulnerable, like I actually get an erection. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that's 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 the definition of a demisexual in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like star. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It's great. Yeah. Um yeah. okay, so the the question how do we identify our shame? Um so yeah, perfectionism is a great one. I'm going to I'm going to second everything you said. I don't need to re-say it, but yes, very much me. That's that's how I would identify it. Mm-hmm. I think to to answer the question of how I realized that what I was dealing with was shame was when I read the book, The Velvet Rage by Alan Downs. Yeah. yeah. And I read that book. Someone gave it to me because he was like, you need to read this. <laughs> and I read it. And I'm like, oh, shit. And I highly recommend it for anyone who does uh, want to kind of dive deeper into the game as experience of shame because that really, mm-hmm. really opened my eyes. Um, so, yeah. How do we know or how does the viewer listener there know that they're dealing with shame if we've become such experts in avoiding it, right? We become <clears> experts <throat> in avoiding any situations where we have to feel it and or and compensating for it in, in when we do feel it so it's very hard to identify it right when when do you identify this thing that you spend your entire life avoiding so mm-hmm. perfectionism is a great example um i would say as well having a low tolerance for invalidation yeah having a low tolerance for criticism um anything like that the reason why someone gave me the book the velvet rage i'll tell you a story I may have said it before, is I was going on a date with somebody and I had really enjoyed my time with them. We had a really good first date, um, great time. And then we're like, okay, let's do this again next Friday. So we were chatting all week, all excited. Friday afternoon comes along. I was at the office, it was in my office days. And I'm like, okay, yeah, let's meet up at so-and-so, just kind of finalizing the plans for the date. And he said to me, oh, I can't make it. Yeah. And I lost my shit. Mm-hmm. I lost my shit. I was like, how dare he? And like, what is he doing? Who does he think he is? What is going on? I was like, and I was texting all my friends and we're all commiserating about how this person sucked and how men suck. And really at the end of the day, that's not that big of a deal. You couldn't make it, right? Mm-hmm. But notice my reaction was completely disproportionate because yeah. I took that as a invalidation. I, I took that as a rejection. And so yeah. I was ragey. It's the name of the book, Velvet Rage. Um, I was ragey about this whole thing to the point where my other friend was like, hey, you need to read this book. <laughs> yeah. He gave me the book and I read it. And that was, that was kind of my um, introduction to it. So notice how you react to slight invalidations. Totally. Uh, and also go again, go back another shout out to our last two podcasts. Um, another yeah. way is bitchiness. I think I see this a lot in the gay community that bitchy, catty, mm-hmm. snarky. We're very mean. We're very yeah. mean people when we are invalidated. We yeah. bite back. We bite back hard. Yeah. Well, shame, shame is what well, they say it characterizes cruelty towards self and others, right? So if we get yeah. the message that we're wrong, right? Growing up, there's something wrong with us and rejection is going to stimulate that wound. It's like we're all walking around with an open wound and then all we do is poke at it. So rejection is poking somebody's open wound. And then they're like, fuck, I I must be wrong, right? And instead of feeling that feeling of inadequacy and being with it and being sad about that, we go to the, the secondary emotion, right? The secondary emotion is the emotion we feel when we don't feel comfortable feeling the primary emotion. So rage and anger, right? And then we are cruel, 
to them and we bite back hard because but really it's it's again if you look at trauma response what's what's the primary trauma response that i see in the community well two the top two fight and fawn probably right and uh but fight is that it's bite back right bite back because it's easier to feel rage than it is to feel sadness and grief around the shame that we've had to deal with as as gay men yeah and another one i would add is numbing it that's another one that i see a lot so we feel this yeah. it's 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 an avoidance tactic but yeah so we have this um feeling that we don't want to feel and so what do we do instead of feeling it of course is we numb it and i know yeah. a big problem in the gay community is addiction uh, substances, not, not even just addiction to substances, but even just like the amount to which we drink <laughs> Yeah. as a community, there's nothing wrong with that. I drink as well, but yeah. like, think about it. I remember having a moment where I was like, I can only have sex if I'm like a little bit drunk or in a situation where I've been out at a bar and yeah. we've talked about that as well here. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was a big wake up call for me. I'm like, well, you know, why is that? Is that a product of the environment? But even if I wasn't at a gay bar, to go on a date, I'd have to have a, a bottle of wine. If I had someone over here, we'd have a couple of bottles of wine. That was mm -hmm. always the case. So I think numbing in, in yeah. lots of different ways. Yeah. Why are you laughing? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, it's just throwing me back. Drunk sex is amazing. I fucking love <laughs> drunk sex and I, but I don't really drink. So I don't really have it anymore, but it was, I remember when I stopped drinking and started, you know, having sex sober, which was very new for me, I felt like super insecure. I yeah. felt my shame coming up. Like, is he enjoying this? Like my body feels weird. Like all, I felt like I'm a newbie to, to sex. And, uh, I think that's why a lot of gay men do it. They, you know, you look at party and play, you look at, you know, these things. And if you were actually to share sober intimacy, sexual intimacy with somebody, it's very healing. But when we're, when we're numbed out and dissociated from it, it it's actually can be very traumatizing. And I think that's what I'm undoing now in my life is all the dissociated, disconnected sex that I had because I was on drugs or alcohol and my body didn't want it. Right. So I'm literally healing like my body, the, the trauma that I put my body through when I had sex with people that I probably didn't want to have, or on a soul level, it wasn't a good connection, but uh, anyway, but yes, I do. I do love me some drunk sex. <laughs> if it wasn't, if I didn't feel like shit the next day and alcohol right. didn't make me feel horrible, I probably would drink like drink all the time and have sex <laughs> they make for some great stories i gotta say i've, I've had some really hilarious stories on drunk sex but uh, you just actually reminded me of another one matt another way we can mm -hmm. identify shame and we've talked yeah. about this as well is intimacy avoidance right yeah um mm -hmm. so avoiding someone getting close like if you're one of those people who you know has a few days but if it gets too close you kind of panic and freak out or like yeah. find a way to sabotage it for whatever reason you just don't let people get too close um, that I think is a sign that there might be some shame mm -hmm. lingering in the background there. Yeah. Yeah. I fully agree. I want to just read my list that I came up with. They're all kind yeah. of similar, but I'll just kind of go through it. So how do we identify our shame? So, um, one of the main is ways is hiding who we authentically are. So all the masks, and we'll talk about that in the next question. We have uh, a whole course on how to identify these masks and work through them. Um, a fear of being exposed, <clears throat> you know, I see this a lot. And in the work that I do, I work primarily with toxic shame and attachment trauma. Those are kind of the two things that I specialize in. And, um, you know, a lot of the work that I do is being the witness, being the conscious sacred eyes that somebody can expose themselves to in a very therapeutic and safe setting. And that's, in my opinion, what heals, uh, heals shame. Um, so there's, it's usually, um, characterized by a fear of rejection, failure, criticism, and judgment. Those are kind of the top, I would say the, the, the top four pillars, probably. Um, judgment uh, and cruelty towards self and others. So if you see, if you see yourself being highly critical and judgmental of other people, it's likely coming from the shame within you because we, we often treat people the way that we treat ourselves. Right. So when we're cruel to ourselves, we're going to be cruel to other people. I'm um, not always, but I do think that there's a, it's a pretty uh, standard rule in my opinion. Um, heavy reliance on external validation, which we've talked about um, secrecy and silence. So if you look at what, um, what heals shame, it's vulnerability, it's connection, it's empathy, it's compassion, these sorts of things. Um, and the, what breeds shame is secrecy and silence. And 
notice notice how you show up when let's say you're sitting in like a heterosexual environment like you're out for dinner or whatever and you're talking and you know and it's really interesting i always observe this in in people's behavior i was out with a friend and we were having uh, lunch in this place and there was couples around us and he was talking like normal about things and then he started to talk about being gay and gay issues and he lowered his voice and he almost kind of whispered a bit and I was like, this is so fascinating. I just paid attention to that. And I'm like, do I do that? So now I'm kind of noticing um, how that shows up for me. So secrecy and silence will be like, a, obviously a sign that there's something um, there. And for good reason, like, you know, we could potentially get our ass kicked when, you know, if, if a bunch of, you know, crazy people heard us talking about that, right? Like, you know, in today's day and age, it's not as common, at least where I live. I think I can't speak for, for other people, but um, so I think we, we need to do this for a reason, um, feeling of feelings of inadequacy. Um, so feeling not good enough, but I would say this is a very universal human thing. So just because you're having feelings of inadequacy does not mean it's characterized by, by toxic shame. Um, and then I would say working backwards. So for people like the, the, the all the, the list that I just described would be deflated ego, right? Right. So this is how the ego would perceive these these experiences or or um, you know th through deflation. And then there's there's ways that the ego tries to hide us from seeing these things, and it would be through inflated ego, right? Um, and that would be things like perfectionism, excessive materialism, mm -hmm. um, cattiness, or the mean girl energy. Um, so all of these overcompensatory mechanisms that we use to not have to feel the shame. And that's why gay men are so good at it. You, you know, I think he, I don't know if this is true, but the velvet rage is a very interesting title for that book because velvet is like, you know, posh and high end. And it's like this, you know, and then rage is like what's underneath that. So we project velvet to the world, but really rage is what's underneath. And I think that's what a lot of gay men I see is, you know, we're all walking around with these masks and, and we really need to start to be with the hurt and the pain and all the stuff that's underlying so we can heal, take off our masks and move towards the thing that is the most healing for shame, which is authentic connection, in my opinion, and vulnerability. But it's impossible to do that until we feel safe. So it is a little bit of a catch 22, because the very thing we need to heal is the very thing we're terrified of doing. Yep. So we have to t have courage and step towards that initially, and then start to taste what we get back from that. And then that's very healing, right? And this is why we're doing what we're doing. Like the Gay Men's Brotherhood, this is this, it started as this vehicle to bring people together to share their story of pain so we can all feel more seen and connected to. Um, and it's morphed since then. So, yeah. Beautiful segue um, mm -hmm. into, into how we heal it. And yeah, I think that's exactly that. Going back to the title of the book, I think that's exactly how he describes it as well. Um, mm -hmm. It's a book that I have read a few times and I kind of go back to, so I definitely recommend it. Um, but first, I think before we answer that, I want to just take a minute because I feel like the we've been taking like a shit on the gaze <laughs> yeah. because of all the shame. And I want to make it very known, I'm happy you said this, that I love the gaze. I love being gay, all that fear of like, I wish I wasn't like this and I'd rather be there. like, all that's gone for me. I'm like, I see this for me as like the gift of a lifetime. Like I'm so yeah. happy to be gay in this time and age in the country I live in, in the city I live in, right? Um, yeah. And so I think it's a great thing. And I and for all the flaws of our community, for all the things that we're saying that are bad, I do want to say that I think we are a wonderful community and that what we're doing here with the brotherhood with this podcast with our courses with everything that we do is to help bring out the goodness that is inherently there yeah right yeah yeah i agree i agree and i will i i'm not quite where you're at because i still struggle with my needs going unmet in the community and part of that is me i have to own that part of me is still working through letting my walls down and feeling safe but i do find that when i'm out with gay men there's this energy of hiding and it's like, I, I want connection. I want to, you know, I want to connect and I find dating to be challenging too, for this reason. So, you know, I'm still working through this stuff and yes, I probably do shit on the gay community, but when I'm, when I'm doing that, I'm doing it from a place of like, you know, I think one of the gifts that I have in this world is to come in and shine the light on things that aren't working. Right. Like I'm a nonconformist. I'm a libertarian. I'm, I come at the world through exposing truth. Like let's, you know, so I really, 
and part of my my journey probably is going to be learning how to share more compassion and love as I meet it within myself, right? And right now I'm in the place of exposing and I'm taking the same flashlight that I'm shining on the gay community and I'm shining it on myself too. So I think that's, I really want to highlight that. It's like, I'm not sitting here on some throne shining light on the darkness in people. I'm shining that same light within myself. Yeah. yeah. Well said. Yeah. Okay, so how can we start healing shame? So this is this was the magic question, right? That that double-edged sword or whatever how mm-hmm. you call it, a catch-22. There's this thing that we've spent our entire lives avoiding and we've become really, really good at avoiding that we do not want to see. Mm-hmm. First, we have to identify it. And in order to heal it, you have to identify it and you have to feel it. So um, what are some ways we can start healing shame? Mm. Yeah, there's, I would say... You know, we have to move from zero to 100 and 100 is belonging. Belonging is where shame fully comes in and and does the work. But we can't move towards belonging if we don't feel safe. So I do believe there's a there's a, we, we, we have to do a, a certain amount of individual work, uh, likely shadow work and, you know, working with a coach or a therapist or somebody that you like a practitioner that you can start to share yourself with and, uh and possibly do trauma healing work as well. And then we get to a place where we start to feel a bit more safe. We start, we stop activating our, our trauma responses of like fight, flight, freeze, and fawn as much. And we start to feel safe to move towards things like vulnerability, intimacy, authentic connection, community. Um, you know, so I do think that that's kind of the main, the main thing here. And I know for, for me, my journey was, um, you know, I, well, and I still, I'm still working on this one is the lone wolf energy. I'm kind of right now, I'm like, I'm detangling, like, what is healthy lone wolf? And what is fearful lone wolf? Because I'm, I'm like a Sigma male, like I do a lot on my own, I'm very content on my own, I don't engage in hierarchical systems, like alpha, beta, like any of that sort of crap, like I just don't engage in it. And, and I'm very much okay to be off on my own doing my own thing. And I, but there's a part of me that still has social anxiety and social fear. So I'm trying to entangle like who, who actually am I? Like what, you know, what, what part of me is still governed by shame and trauma and is avoiding belonging, community and connection. And what part of me is just content in nature. And, you know, I'm, I'm deeply connected to the spiritual world. So I don't often feel loneliness. It's not a very common experience that I have because I'm connected to entities, beings, angels, nature, all the animals, like that's kind of where, so loneliness is not a very, very common experience for me. Um, fortunately, because I, you know, hear it from my clients, just how painful, um, loneliness can be. And, uh, yeah, so Um, But yeah, I wrote down here like vulnerability. That's the number one thing. Like if you look at all of Brene Brown's research, you know, if you're to heal shame, you have to practice vulnerability and courage. Like those are, those are essential, right? And we have to muster up the courage to practice vulnerability for the very first time, maybe. And then we get, we get the reward of that, right? And, and God forbid that you don't muster up the courage and practice vulnerability and you get shit on, Mm -hmm. right? So be cautious with who you practice vulnerability with. And, you know, I have kind of a a rule of thumb and there's, there's a a Ram attachment model. It's relationship attachment model. And I can't remember the guy who, who does it, but um, it's, it works like no, no rely, trust, commit, so you you know somebody first before you rely on them. You rely on somebody before you trust them. You or maybe it's trust. No trust, rely, commit. Yeah, and then right. So those all have to be linear. You have to have one before you can connect to the other. And I think you know taking it slow with people and not just like barfing vulnerability onto people because there's a lot of people in this world that don't know how to hold space. Yeah. I would say I would say more people don't know how to hold space than do. Right. And you could be vulnerable with them and they could completely shit on you and it can re-traumatize. Um, so be, be, be mindful of that. Um, and then authentic connection, right? So when we are vulnerable, that's the reward we get is, is authentic connection. And um, yeah, and then Brene Brown also says, you know, shame is healed by telling the story of our shame in safe places with safe people. And that is, again, vulnerability. So safety is the key word here. Uh, shadow work. 
we've done a whole episode on that. So I'm not going to talk a bit about that much, but uh, that, that was a really great episode. We did a, a really good job with that one. I'm, so go and watch that. Um, presence and embodiment. So I remember like my journey, um, you know, starting to connect with, with my shame in my body. That's, that's, you know, it is in our psyche, don't get me wrong, but the psyche informs the soma, right? And, and vice versa. So we have to really be embodied to, to actually do like the healing of the shame and the healing of the toxic or the, the, the trauma and the healing of the toxic shame. It has to be an embodied experience. Um, that is, um, met with presence presence is is basically the secret weapon to healing pretty much anything if you're not present you're not going to heal it you'll continue to spin on the wheel of the mind right and the mind isn't the isn't the thing that heals um it's the presence and the connection to the to the the body um and then deconditioning work so letting go of old stories and programs that we've inherited from social systems that don't serve us and you know, this is a tough one, though, because a lot of people, when they think about going left, when everybody goes right, it's it is that primal experience that we have in our brain that it gets activated with fear. Well, what if I go left and everybody goes right and there's no resources when I go left? Right. And I run out of food and I'm not with all the people that have the food. Right. And then I'm so there's this element. And that's why conformity is such it's important, obviously, to the uh, the survival of a species. But to a certain point, right? It's not, I think conformity is not helpful when it's sacrificing who you are, right. your, sen your sense of self, right? And if, if, if you go right when your soul was telling you to go left, that's going to lead to a whole bunch of problems in my opinion. So we got to really listen, listen inward and say, okay, where, where do I got to go here? Is conformity going to serve me or is it going to, um, is it going to not serve me? Yeah, I think those are kind of those are kind of the my things. Yeah. What about for you? Yeah, that's I think that covers all of them in terms of uh, you know, what are some mm -hmm. ways we can start healing? Shane, you covered a lot of really, really good um ideas. What I was mm -hmm. thinking though, as you were sharing these, is all of the examples that I've seen it within our community. So things like holding space, being present, authentic connection. Yeah. Um, we do that, we offer that container facilitated by you and I and, and Ellery um, yeah. every month in the yeah. GMB Zoom Hangout. And I see it happening. Like when guys come in, especially for the first time, I love I love when we have our, our newbies show up Yeah, and they have the courage to share and be vulnerable and hold space for one another, right? Like we just facilitate these spaces, but the people who leave it will come out saying, oh my gosh, I feel so much less alone in the world. Mm -hmm. I feel like, oh, what they shared resonates with me so much or, or you know, they just feel like that shame kind of melts away a little bit, at least a layer of it, at least it starts mm -hmm. to holding that space yeah. in those communities. Um, I've seen the same thing in my own workshops, the sexual empowerment workshops where we talk about sexual insecurity and we take this shame in the more sexual realm. And it's the yeah. same thing. Yeah, Having the right space though, makes a difference. And I'm really happy you pointed that out having a facilitator, you know, who can hold that space and kind of keep the energy of the room. Mm -hmm. I'm also working one-on-one. -on -one. Matt is a great practitioner of this. So am I. Mm -hmm. So if you're listening, uh, you can contact one of us, uh, joining the, the group, the community, joining our Zooms on the last Thursday of the month. And then we have the course. We have a course called Healing Your Shame, Yeah. Uh, which we created, what was it now, two years ago? Yeah. It's almost like kind of strange watching the videos. Like we're I look so different. My hair was long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was during COVID. I remember that because I was at a different apartment, but uh, Matt Callan and I created this because it was one of the first things that we kind of figured, okay, if we're going to help the community and we do, then what is something that we all kind of struggle with and deal with? And so we created this course called healing your shame. It's slow. You can find it in our coaching collection, or you could also find it standalone. Um, and what we do is we cover the basics, right? The foundational stuff of shame. What is shame? how we avoid shame, how to acknowledge it, the social impacts of it, how to develop shame resilience, and then developing a stronger sense of self. This is the, the the scratching of the surface. Would you agree, Matt? Yeah. Yeah. It's not a, because when, when you're, when you're working with shame, you can't inundate, 
it's an overwhelming experience and people go into freeze very quickly, right? So we we did it in a very gentle um, way so people can start to meet their shame from consciousness, do some journaling and then um, and then move over into the building better relationships course, which is more meaty and more in, in depth and taking you on a bit more of a journey. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's where you can apply a lot of these lessons and, and continue it. Cause obviously, like you had said, I'm happy you said that our, our journey with shame and our healing of it isn't something that really ends. It's, there's always another layer, yeah. uh, a layer to find. Um, but at least, you know, with these things, we give you the, the basic building blocks and the tools and the people who yeah. have taken the course have found it very enlightening. And I think what a lot of people enjoy are the journal prompts. So there are yeah. six different modules. Um, and at the end of each module, we give you three, I believe, journal prompts. Yeah. Um, that kind of help you, they're designed to help you do some self-discovery and some introspective work, because like we mm -hmm. said, everyone's journey is a little bit different and we, we acknowledge that and understand it. So we have these journal prompts set up so you can kind of find your own path. Um, yeah. what do you think has been the, for people who have taken the course, the greatest, um, result? Well, I think the biggest thing is, is people tend to say that they, um, like, for example, today, like the, the shame in the system, listening to Michael and I talking today, you might be able to kind of pinpoint it and, and stuff. But what I think what we do is, you know, we are, it's easier for us to identify it in others yeah. and then get triggered and be like, Oh, like, I don't like how they're showing up. So what this course does is it allows you to soften a bit and go into finding it within yourself and taking responsibility for your own shame wounding and then being able to start to healing it. So, you know, we, we did, when we were running the membership, we had um, men's groups, right? So you and I each ran one and then you think did one on building better relationships as well. So in that community, there was, you know, like whatever, 14 or 15 guys that are sharing their journal, their journal prompts and their, their own insights and their heart with other men. Yeah. And it's like, it allows them to feel safer to be able to start sharing. And I would say that's my biggest pain, pain point in the gay community is there's not enough openness and vulnerability and connection because of shame. Shame is, is what it's built the walls up right it, that that's that that was the 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 bricks it was made up of a, a wheelbarrow of shame and then we just put these bricks 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 so we in order to to take the bricks down so we can start to connect with each other in more intimate and vulnerable ways we need to start to take responsibility for our shame right so i would say that's probably the biggest one and then you know it leads to connection meaningful yeah. connection that's yeah. that's why i do what i do like if i were to define one why in all of my whole life purpose and why I do the work that I do. It's because I want meaningful connection in my life and I want to, people to have meaningful connection in their life. That's it. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. So, yeah. And shame is the biggest obstacle to that. Yeah, exactly. Anything yeah. that it gets in the way of connection is what I'm here to shine light on. I'm here to expose it and say, let's fucking rid ourselves of this so we can start to revel in the yumminess of human connection because connection is everything. That's why we're here, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the the great thing about the course as well is that people who have taken it, who are now in like this, you know, who took it maybe two years ago and are now in my, my uh, in sexual empowerment men's group will still refer to that. Mm -hmm. Like it, it really is the foundational stuff, right? Like they'll go back yeah. to like, oh yeah, that's right. We learned that in the shame course or, or whatnot. And so people do go back to it years on, which does, it, it is, it does make me laugh a bit because in my mind, oh, that's like, that's old, but it, the knowledge is the knowledge. Like it, it stands the test of time in terms of what we're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's the beautiful thing about creating these courses. Like we, we will age, but the content <laughs> never will. Yes. Right. In my opinion, because the, we're talking about the fundamentals of, of healing, um, so yeah, in that actual, there's a, there's a PDF that we did that has the seven masks that we wear. And it's, it's something that people have found really helpful as well is, uh, the different masks where you went through a bunch of them today when you were speaking, but yeah. it kind of gives you an idea for like, okay, yeah, this one's me, you know, perfectionism or the cattiness or the yeah. stoicism or the masculinity. Like it kind of goes through all the different ways that you can identify shame within yourself. Cause you might not want to say, oh yeah, that's me. I have shame. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, let me see if I can list them. So there's stoicism, masculinity, perfectionism, materialism. There was six, right? I think, yeah, there was the, the sloppy messy. Oh, yeah, the hot mess. The hot mess, yeah. Um, 
Is there one more? Did we say sex? Oh, and sex. Yeah, sex. I think. Hypersexuality. Hypersexuality. Yeah. Yeah. And there's more, but we just identified yeah. kind of like six that we see very predominant in the community. And then we, we unpack them and then help you kind of understand what your masks are and what you're using, because yeah. that's the biggest thing. That's the hardest thing about working with shame is the, is the ego. The ego is so cunning and so good at convincing you that, that it's not there. And this isn't just with shame. This is with trauma. This is with grief. This is which all the emotions that we don't want to face. We use the ego and all the psychological defenses that the ego creates to not have to be with the things that feel painful, which is really adaptive when you think about it, right? Like, because think about in life, like we can't always be in, sitting with all this heaviness. So we need a mechanism to come in and say, oh, it's not as bad, you know, whatever. And it minimizes, but we do need to sit with this stuff. Otherwise we stay stuck in the hamster wheel of pain, right? And our lives are just constantly full of peaks and valleys. So we need to, we need to face this stuff if we want more consistency of peace in our lives. Very well said. Mm -hmm. So guys, that's where you can start healing your shame, literally. Yeah. Um, I'm going to put the link in the show notes for the entire coaching collection, which includes healing your shame and building better relationships and our 45 other videos on body positivity, yeah. relationships, self-confidence, and community. Yeah. Or you could also just do healing your shame as a standalone. I'm going to put both of those in the show notes. Um, cool. Is there anything else that you want to add, Matt, before we wrap this up? I just want to offer lots of love to people on this journey because I know how painful it is and I'm still navigating it and they're just, just so much love. And uh, yeah, I would like to see in this episode specifically, like if people are willing to share in the comments on YouTube, like, you know, what are you doing to navigate this? Um, because I do think we need to normalize this more, right? Because it's so easy to feel like you're alone. Yes. on this journey like and you're not trust me like you know so many people are facing this and we get to see behind the curtain because we do this work for a living so like feeling and I still sometimes feel very alone doing this so I can't imagine that people you know that don't get to see other people suffering through this that it would they could feel very alone and you're not so and there is a way out yeah yeah and that's why I love the men's groups right mm -hmm. that's exactly what it teaches you is that you're not alone and yeah. you would never, I think, expect that someone who like what, what I hear is like, oh, I would never expect that that person who I see on the screen has the exact same pain point as me or feels the exact same way as you. Like they could be completely different ages on completely different sides of the world and they can have the exact same experience. <clears throat> so it does connect yeah. us. And that is what heals shame, as you had said, authentic yeah. connection. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe we can even provide a little sneak peek. We haven't fully got yet, but we're working, uh, we're going to start working on a like almost kind of like a, a big kahuna men's group, maybe yes. like a 12 week program that we take men through. So Michael and I are, are really excited about that, but that won't be out for a bit, but we'll keep people posted. Yep. Get on our email list. That's where we're going to probably be doing a lot of our promos. So if you're yes. not on our email list already, make sure you get on that. Yeah. And our email subscribers always get first dibs on all the things that we're working on here. Exactly. All right, guys. Uh, well, thank you, viewer listener, for sticking with us for this uh, topic. Uh, we yeah. hope that you got something out of it. <laughs> uh, and thank you, Matt, as always, for your wisdom and contribution. Both your coaching hat and the human hat were, were wonderful yeah. shares today. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, You really opened my heart up uh, with your share. So thank, thank you. you. Mm -hmm. All right. So if you're listening to this and you uh, want to give us a, a lovely rating review, we would love a five-star rating and a great review um, on podcasts, whatever platform you're listening to. If you're watching us on YouTube, again, please share with us in the comments. What did you think? Uh, we love reading the comments and we do reply um, and we are reading them. It is us for real that are reading and replying uh, as the mm -hmm. game and going deeper. Yeah. Um, and that's all I've got for everyone today. So thank you so much and have a great rest of the day. Ciao.